move over John Anthony Tenta Jr. It's Starquake for the Atari ST on the Atari ST Show 11. People love the WWE. They love the Atari ST, Aaron. It's proven. Welcome, everyone. This is the Atari ST Show. I'm John. And I'm Aaron. And today we're going to be talking about Starquake. Starquake. So, you know, normally we have some uh, ridiculous banter about something related to the game or the title or anything. But there's not really much you can say about Starquake, is there? No, uh, I mean, it's a cool name that comes from that. See, you know, you got a game like Starquake. There is something we could talk about here because I like a game with a cool name, as you know. That's sort of my thing, right? Uh, but Starquake, the name, and Starquake, the game, don't really go together, to, in my opinion. Yeah. And I, I know the that. Starquake is a, pl- is a plot device that they use in the game at some point in the docks. Mm-hmm. But like when I think Starquake, you know, I think some kind of really cool, like a shooter or something, like a, a shmup, yeah. where you're out there shooting and stuff. But I don't think about trolling around like a little dork, mm-hmm. like trolling. Around. Well, trolling around like a dork is what you do in a lot of games of this ilk, like Nebulous. You're trolling yeah. around like a dork. So that's another one. That, yeah. That's had a pretty cool name. But mm-hmm. they, yeah, ne- well, yeah, they do have similar geeks at the helm of the game. So yeah, you got that in common. Yeah, yeah. Now, Aaron, have you ever been in an earthquake before? I have. I have been in an earthquake, actually. Uh, I was, I mean, it was, a, it was a West Virginia earthquake, but occasionally the mountains will shake, as you know, Boat. And I was sitting, you know, I, I used to work at a computer store by myself with just the boss. I'd go out to lunch. And of course, I was in South Charles, or I was in the Canal City, West Virginia. There's not a whole lot of places to go eat that you want to go in. So I'd always get to lunch and then go sit in the old Kmart parking lot and eat it like any other cool guy would. And I was in my car one day. Uh, I was actually playing Super Mario Brothers on my GP2X. I just finished eating. And all of a sudden, I felt like someone was had grabbed hold of the back of my car and was you know, bouncing it up and down like a, like a rap guy. And I was getting ready to go out and whoop somebody's tail for screwing with me. And there's like no one there. I'm like, what the heck was that? And then I turn on the radio, and they're like, holy cow, did you feel that, Charles? And that was an earthquake. I'm like, oh, cool. That's what it feels like. So that was that's the extent of my earthquake experience. What about you? Yeah, I, I was in an earthquake that was uh, also, it might have even been the same one, because this was, um, this was in, no, I don't know. Maybe it was, but this was in 2012, uh, 2011 or 2012. Yeah, um, and there was a I bet big, it was. There was a big earthquake. Uh, that originated up in New York. It was on the eastern seaboard in the New England, and I was working in Boston at the time. And I was, you know, I, I worked in a high rise, and I felt Ooh. the building sway back and forth. And I've never felt anything like that before. Because when you're in a building, most of the time, you feel like the building is is pretty solid, you know. And when you feel like everything start to move back and forth, and you're not controlling the swaying, uh, it's it's frightening. Uh, so that was my one and only experience with an earthquake. I don't need to have another one. And certainly if I was you, there was a 0% chance I'd ever want that to happen again. Yeah. Yeah. It was no good. Now, Aaron, let's leave, let's leave behind our earthquake stories and talk about Starquake for the Atari ST. Now, this
Weekly Podcast. Say that again, Bo. We were on the title screen right there. Oh, oh, I forgot all about the title screen because I flipped over to my notes. This week's Atari ST show is brought to you by our patrons, and in particular, Game Selection Committee members Graham Vebke, Richard Davey, and Dave Velociraptor. If you enjoy the Atari ST show, check out patreon.com slash Atari ST show to see how you can help make it a weekly podcast. Now, Aaron, Starquake, when you think about the game Starquake, what is the platform that you think of first? I think of the uh, the old ZX Spectrum boat. When we looked at this, I believe it was like something like episode 29. Yeah. So it was a good while back. We, we actually played this on the ZX Spectrum, and I believe it came out in 85 on the Spectrum, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So Starquake was originally designed for a plethora of 8-bit computers by a guy named Stephen Crow. Uh, he was the man behind Bubble Bus Software, which I think is a pretty cool name. <laughs> for yeah. a development house. Uh, Steven started in game design in the mid-80s and then went on to focus primarily on art. Uh, and he continues to work today, as far as I'm aware. Uh, this guy has a career to beat the band. Uh, you know, after he left the 8-bit micros and moved on to the consoles, he did the art on Earthworm Jim uh, and a bunch of games in that, you know, 16-bit era. And uh, he actually is one of the main designers and art designers on World of Warcraft, if you can believe it. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. Were you a big WoW guy back in the day? You know, I was I was cajoled into playing it because I played a lot of EQ. But I, but that's with you. I don't want to bury the game, but I hated the graphics in World mm. of Warcraft. You're that not was a big other fan of the cutesy, th the cutesy thing, are No. You? It's called World of Warcraft, not World of Fuzzy... You know, bunny slippers. I, I want to see. I want to see death dealt, brother. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Well, I'm really not, but I am. Uh, the ST port of Starquake was released in 1988 by Terrific Software, and you know it's got to be great if it's coming to you from Terrific Software in the United States. In the UK, it came from Mandarin Software. Ooh. Yeah. Mandarin uh, grew out of Level 9 Computing. Level 9 was a publisher that did mostly text adventure games. Uh, Mandarin was their branch that was going to handle action games. Uh, they didn't last very long, though. According to Moby, uh, Mandarin only published seven games between 1988 and 1990, including Skate Tribe, Lancelot, and a game that I really want to play called Captain Fizz Meets the Blaster Trons. <laughs> Skate Tribe sounds pretty good, too. That's true. That's true. Uh, the ST graphics were done by David McLaughlin, and the music was done by Jazz Brook. Uh, Jazz Brook also did the music for the ST versions of Buggy Boy, which we've already taken a look at, uh, Akari Warriors, and Revenge of the Mutant Camels. Uh, oh, yeah. The Jeff Minter game, I believe, uh, which I hope to try someday. So, uh, Aaron, now, did you remember anything about Starquake when you fired it up on the ST versus when we played it way, way back on the ZX Spectrum. Uh, well, it, it, you know, when we when this game came up, I did not remember it uh, from from when we tried it back in the day. Because, you know, my memory's tapioca. But with all that said, once I started playing it, I remembered it quite, uh, quite a bit uh, because it has uh, a very, very much in common with its uh, S with its uh, ZX cousin. Yeah, so, so if, I if, remember if you that. had to if you had to define the genre of Starquake, how would you how would you define it? Uh, I would. It's not easy to define, really. It there's uh, it's a uh, shooting platformer. No, that's not true. It's a it's a uh, action puzzle. 
game with shooting elements. How let's go with that. Okay. Okay. I would call this <clears throat> I would call this a I would call this an action platformer. A straight up action platformer. The reason I didn't say platformer is because really your guy doesn't jump. Well, uh, which is that, sort that, of synonymous with a platformer. That that brings on you know an interesting point of discussion. Can you call a game a platformer if you don't have the ability to jump? So you say no. Well, I mean, that, I guess you could call it that, but that's what kept me from doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this game sort of is in a category unto itself in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what you're doing here is you are exploring this giant maze-like planet. Uh, and you're trying to find objects that you can use to keep the earth from exploding. Okay. So uh, in order to say the, here, are the, here are the, here is the backstory from the instructions in order to save the earth from a rogue planet, you must take control of blob blob is an acronym that means biologically bio space logically operated being and repair the planet's core first of all if you've got a protagonist don't call him blob that's lame that makes you feel like i mean oh I, yeah i play a blob as myself every day i don't need to i would go with i would blob. go with wacky but yeah. yeah it is pretty lame yeah so uh at the start of the game you've just crash landed on the rogue planet and you've got to explore all of these screens to find the core, okay? So once you find the core of the planet, you'll notice that the core looks like it's made up of everyday objects, like umbrellas and unicycles and crap, okay? So what you've got to do is you've got to collect these objects that are scattered about the planet and bring them to the core, and that repairs the core. And once you've repaired the core, the planet doesn't explode and the Earth is safe, okay? So, uh, in this game, uh, that is essentially what you do. Um, now, what is in your way in this game? Well, you've got a bunch of monsters that are flying around. Uh, you can destroy the monsters. You've got a laser. Uh, the laser has limited limited bursts of fire, so you've got to conserve your your laser blast in this game. Um, you've uh, if a bad guy hits you. Then uh, you your energy goes down. Of course, if you lose all your energy, you uh, you you die. Uh, now there are some enemies that will kill you instantly, um, and uh, and so you've got to watch out for those. Uh, and th- the thing that you do instead of jump on this game is you've got some sort of a mechanism that will create platforms beneath you. Uh, these platforms are called bridges, uh, but they really don't work like bridges. They really work like. Um, it's really hard to explain how this would actually work in real life, but just imagine you, you you've got like a a spell like a platform spell where you can cast it right below in a platform, and then you can cast it again, and you're you're it's almost like you're climbing a ladder with these things. Is that how you would describe it, Aaron? Here's how I look at it: the character in this and his mechanism to move around, it, it's like he got rejected from like the Bubble Bobble series. Mm. You know, all this Rainbow Isle mm-hmm. and all that crap. They've all got some kind of goofy thing. Like this guy showed up, blob. They're like, eh, we'll call you later. You know, because his <laughs> thing is 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 he just basically uh, uh, shoots a like a uh, he elevates himself with almost like a ladder. It's it's different. I mean, it's also exhaustible, and unlike the bubble ball things, I mean, you can run out of these quite easily. You have to pick them up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, that with having that as a jump substitute uh, is presumably part of the puzzle part of this game. Right, right. Because you're limited. This game is all about resource management. Uh, you are conserving your laser. 
and you're conserving your bridge because you don't know where these power-ups necessarily are going to be around the corner. And this is where the exploration part comes in. So this is a game where exploration is paramount. This is, uh, this is you know, a hallmark of European game design. You have, uh, you know, one of the big selling points that's plastered all over the box is how many screens the game has. You always see that in Euro games. And so this game has 512 screens. And so you better get to mapping and you better get going because you're going to need to find the locations of all these things and sparingly use your resources so you don't run out and essentially just get stuck. Now, you're never going to get truly stuck because scattered about this planet are these platforms. Uh, these are these are platforms that you get onto and you can kind of fly around on them like little hovercrafts, okay? And um, these not only allow you to get more vertical movement, but they also allow you to travel much quicker too. Now, the problem is, is that you can't actually manipulate any objects while you're on one of these platforms. So you've got to land it and you can't just land it anywhere. You've got to land it on one of the platforms. So again, this kind of plays into, like you said, the sort of puzzly element that you can use. Um, and there's also teleporters. And when you go into a teleportation room, you enter in a code and it will take you to different spots on the planet. Okay, so they've, they've put things in this game uh, to make traversal easier. Um, and then there's also uh, an access card. Okay, now I never actually saw these, but I read about them in the docs. And um, these allow you to go into, uh, into special rooms that let you trade one of your objects for a more useful one. So there's there's basically junk all over the place. Uh, yeah. Some of the junk is useful and some of the junk is not. What you've got to do is, you know, the, these access cards allow you to trade one of your junk items for one of these that might actually make up the core. <clears throat> so Aaron, that's kind of the background of Starquake. Um, tell me, what did you like? What did you not like? Well, <clears throat> having played Starquake uh, on the ZX... I mean, if you like Starquake on the ZX Spectrum and and you want a more colorful, better graphic version of Starquake, then this is the game for you. Uh, it's 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 almost identical to the to the old one, except with better graphics. Because I actually fired up the old one. They have a play at it to see how you know see how it played. They play pretty similarly. I I found. And they, they, you know, the look is the main difference. Uh, when we reviewed this uh, on the Speccy, uh, when it came out in 85, I was not super warm to this game. I thought it was hard. I also don't like, I hate games where just random crap flies around. And this game's got random crap everywhere. It's all like random crap everywhere all the time. Uh, so you're always had to deal with that. And you can run out of, of bullets, by the way. Uh, also, if you uh, run out of uh, items, you're, you can be screwed that way. Also, there's there, it's a flip-screen game, which one would wonder why they didn't... I mean, if they made any ad efforts to advance this game, why not make this not flip-screen? You know, uh, you could do it. This is well, the, the Atari ST. Well, wasn't great at scrolling. Well, listen. I mean, but it's not like, the, it's not like we're scrolling... Uh, something intense here. I mean, it, it could scroll other stuff. I'm just throwing it out there. But uh, uh, there are plenty of parts of this game where you can get stuck. 
There are plenty of parts of this game where you can fall off stuff and just get killed because you can't see what's on the flip screen below you. And there's no way you're going to memorize uh, 512 rooms worth of stuff, and you can't memorize where the bad guys are. Uh, so, anyway, I, like I said, I was I had a mixed feeling, but overall I was okay with the ST version because I thought you know, it was pretty colorful. It was interesting. It was different. And for 1985, I thought, hey, this is a pretty pretty decent little game. Well, this wasn't 1985, though. Oh, I'm getting to that. So here we are in 1988 on your shiny new Atari ST, and this hones in the view. You know, this is 1988, brother, all right? This is a game that was, had been out for three years on a, on a lesser system power-wise, power and, and bringing this out, it just shows you, it's like, what are we doing? Like, I was, I'll be honest with you, I was disappointed uh, with, uh, with this one because it just, they really didn't do a whole lot to improve it. And I, 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 who was buying this, I guess is what I'm saying. Just, to me, I was just surprised, Bo. Did you have the same feeling? Listen, I'm not going to beat around the bush when it comes right. This is one of the games that I feel like is responsible for the lack of interest in 16-bit computers in the United States. Okay, because yeah. man, they, they've essentially taken a ZX Spectrum game and put a coat of paint on it and released yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, even in 1985, like this, this sort of game where you just sort of have these infinitely spawning monsters that just kind of fly around, you're yeah. expected to map out a gargantuan <clears throat> place, collect essentially random items, you know, that really don't fit in with what you're trying to do. Um, that's a that's a tough sell in any era. Now you can get away with it when it's on the ZX Spectrum and it's 1985. Right. In 1988, exactly. guess what was popular in the United States? A little thing I like to call the Nintendo Entertainment System. Guess what was out? Freaking Super Mario Brothers 2, Zelda 2, Metroid. These are games that blow this type of game out of the water. And if somebody fired this up on their ST after playing one of those games, they would be on the first train back to Babbage's to return their Atari ST and get something that could play some real games. This game is just, it's such, it's so sad. It's so sad that 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 16 bit computer owners were made subject to so many games that were like this, which were essentially, let's take a successful eight bit computer game and just port it to the S, you know, port it to the 16 bits with no thinking about how they could possibly update it with all of the new things that had come out in game design since then. And of course, the answer is well, it's easy. We're lazy. Let's do it for a quick cash grab. People have fond memories of Starquake playing it on the ZX Spectrum or the CPC or whatever. They'll buy it again on the ST just because it makes them feel good inside. But that's not when any of the new fans that you need to propagate a platform forward. Well, to be fair, I don't think they would have bought this anyway. I mean, people wanted to, even people that like this game, it's not like 85 was a thousand years away. If I saw this, I'd be like, wait a minute, I played that three years ago. What the heck? I agree. Now, you listen, I'm trying to, I'm trying to judge this in two ways. As a game, this is, a, is, is an okay game. It's okay. If you, if you look at it in a vacuum, if this is the kind of game you like, the exploration game, and also something else to consider, I went back and watched our review of this 
uh, when we did on the ZX. The ZX version of this thing was going for, I mean, it was, a, it was basically a, like a, a just slightly above budget. I think it wasn't like a super expensive title. I guarantee you uh, it was more expensive on the ST. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so if you were to buy, that's something else to consider. When you get something like this for the ZX uh, and you pay five US dollars for it, you, that's a pretty good bargain in 85 yeah, you're yeah. doing pretty good if i were to pay 30 dollars for the st version of this and i take it home and i'm like wait a minute this is the exact same game there's literally just with just some uh, graphical modifications why does it cost 25 35 more dollars you know it's that there's that's something to be looked at as well as the cost of these games and then and you're right now listen the amiga had these games dos had them we all had these games where they they so it's not like this is the only game to, to commit this sin it's a game we had to be looking at and like i said this is better than a lot of those games but i mean you're you're right boat if i bought this for my powerful atari st machine and t walked out and put this in the machine took it home i'd be like i'd be not happy i'd be bringing this thing right back and again they didn't there's not enough here listen if you're gonna port this a lot of times at least they'll make a token effort to do some different stuff you know, but I mean, that's why I was talking about with the with the scrolling or something, anything. Yeah, at and, least and, you can you know, say they, you something you, to hang your hat on. When you look at the back of the box, this reads like the back of a ZX Spectrum game or a Commodore sixty four game. Features fast action arcade style play. Okay, so in nineteen eighty eight, most people have moved past the arcades as like this is the kind of experience I want to have at home. Okay, 512 action pack screens. Again, we we need to stop counting screens once we get to the 16-bit era, okay? 30 on-screen colors. You shouldn't brag about that anytime, okay? That's not that's not a whole lot of colors, okay? Saves your scores to disk. Again, what year is this? Four different musical scores available. Okay, maybe that's true. Where are they during the gameplay? Cuz there's no music during the gameplay. And finally, beautiful animations. That's just a flat-out lie. The animations in this game are not beautiful. So <laughs> The guy you play looks like one of the, you know, the losers from Dig Dug? That's what he reminds me of. It's like the loser from Dig Dug with a, with a rejected Rainbow Islands uh, platform gimmick. You know, not being from Europe, I know these games get over more. We've talked about this before. And, and again, this isn't the kind of game I'd want to play, but I know there's an audience for it. Uh, but uh, yeah, everything about this screams. Uh, why am I on a on a on a computer at, yeah. uh, in, a in 1988? Computer, yeah. yeah. So this game, of course, got ported to tons and tons of stuff. The original 8 bits came out on the CPC, Atari 8 bits. The BBC Micro got it. C64. There was a DOS version. The Tatung Einstein, Aaron, yes. got a port as well as the MSX. Um, now uh, the uh, and of course. The uh, the game was famously ported in 2018 to the Amiga. Uh, yeah. It was endorsed. The port was endorsed by Stephen Crow, and it, this was the first time that I heard the name, who has since become legend, Hoffman, did the music of the uh, Amiga version of Starquake. You can still buy that Amiga port if you uh, want to support Stephen Crow these days. Uh, I believe he probably gets a little cut. I would I would think at least. Uh, yeah. You can get the StarQuest Collector's <clears throat> Edition uh, for about 40 pounds. Uh, and so uh, you can you can pretend that uh, that it's the ST version. And if you if you're really desperate for a boxed version of this game, because I looked for it on eBay and I found nada. So if you're looking for a box, just get the Amiga version and put an ST sticker on it. 
you know, in some ways, I'm, I've got the screen up here where we're comparing the ST and the, and the ZX version. I mean, they move. It's eerily similar to the way they move. Yeah. But in some ways, even the monochrome character in the ZX version is more detailed in some small ways. Than they have to, but I mean, I mean, if you look at these games, it's the same game. I mean, it's the same exact game with a new, with a fresh coat of paint. Yeah. You're not fooling anybody, uh, Starquake. It's just not happening for you, pal. Yeah, now this game reviewed uh, okay to less than okay. The highest uh, grade came from Atari ST user in October 1988. Yeah. Uh, they call it a superb arcade adventure. Uh, I don't I don't know. What that... arcade are they playing in? <laughs> yeah, Is there... I don't know that they've There's ever no been There's no level arcade. of arcade. I've been in arcades that they were arcades, and this has got nothing to do with any arcade machine I ever touched. Yeah, yeah. Um, the games machine was a little bit more reserved. Uh, they call it a straightforward conversion, um, and they say that... Uh, it's it's hardly an astounding use of the ST. So that's sort of where I rest on this. ST Action wanted none of it. Uh, they said uh, it will not win prizes for original originality and outstanding graphics. Its gameplay is mildly amusing. Yeah, I'll go with that. <laughs> so that is, uh, they, they gave it a 69. So um, I think that's cute. Did we get? Did we need Discord action on this? I'd be interested to hear if anybody played this. Let me let me uh, find. Here we go. Here, these were our Discord reviews. Uh, oh, you know what? We got no Discord reviews this time. Well, so I, I had a feeling that that was going to happen. Uh, boat uh, with this thing. So no one's selling it. No one's playing it. Basically, no one's buying it. Mm -hmm. It's a dud. You know. As we, I'm going to bring us down here for a second. You know, we've been playing these ST games. I really had a good time uh, looking through the ST library at your house the other day uh, when we played with your ST. Uh, but we came across a lot of duds in their boat. Uh, and uh, as we've done this show, we've we've stumbled upon a lot of what I would call middle and the mediocre games. There have been some high points. There have been some dirty, dirty low points in there too. I'm hoping. That we can get a good rebound here because it's. I mean, I, I know they've got to have some higher quality output than well, what we've been seeing you know, here. Aaron, I'm glad you mentioned that because we are making a very substantial change to the ST game selection process. Okay. Uh, basically, everything you just said, the ST game selection committee agrees with. And while I thought it would be super cool to look at ST only releases that didn't, or ST non Amiga releases, yeah. it appears that we're already kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel of this particular uh, category of games. No so kidding. going forward, uh, any ST game is able to be nominated. If you are on the game selection committee, you can nominate any ST game, whether regardless or not, if you got an Amiga version. And who knows? Maybe we're going to find a lot of these ST ports coming out ahead of the old Miggy. Much to the chagrin of the Amiga rabid fan base who are. Insane. Let me ask you a question, Bo. As we close the door on or the chapter on this particular uh, look of the games we played, that effectively had no Amiga ports. Uh, we've we've played several now. All of Do them. you have one that stands out that uh, uh, of of the ones we've played that's like a really awesome to game? Oh yeah, Sundog. I thought yeah. Sundog was amazing. That's you. That's exactly what I was gonna say. I, I'd say of all the games we played, Sundog was. God knows it took a lot to run it. Yeah. We had to do everything. It jumped through every hoop. But I think Sundog, and that's not that's the angers, man. We play a game like this. Sundog broke all the rules, man. They really put something out there that was unique. 
You know, why can't we get more of that action? Gee, many Christmas, man. Not some old crap. Not some real lame and some arcade ports that are ancient when they get here. Innovation, brother. That's what we want. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's, you know, the ST, it came out, it was first out of the gate in 1985. You know, it was it was super cheap uh, and it was able to capitalize on, you know, the arcade ports of the day. Uh, however... Uh, for uh, you know, once the once the Amiga 500 came out, you started getting these multi. You know, you, you started getting the games developed for the ST, but then they always got ported to the Amiga because you're trying to cast a wide net. So I think now that we're opening things up to games that did arrive on the Amiga, and if they arrived later, uh, we will get a, a much wider, better swath of games to choose from. I agree, boat. All right, Aaron. Before we close the book on uh, Starquake. Actually, we're gonna we're gonna bid a fond farewell to Starquake. <laughs> we're done with it. Um, make sure, folks, if you have any feedback, if you think we're dead wrong on Starquake and you love it on the ST, let us know. Leave us a comment on YouTube. Uh, if you're listening on a podcast service, we'd love your review. If you could write us a review, uh, if you want to look at our entire back catalog, you can find that on YouTube at bitly slash Atari ST Show. We record the show live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Amigos Retro Gaming. And if you want to support this wacky endeavor, visit patreon.com slash Atari ST Show. Uh, we do have a goal up there. If we can get to $200 a month in Patreon support, the Atari ST Show will go from a monthly show to a weekly show. We've got tons more games to cover now that we're opening the floodgates, so it's coming at right in time. And that leads to us to our ST Supporter Roll Call. Thank you to all of these fine folks for supporting the Atari ST Show. David Cavallari, Control-Alt-Reese, O'Brien's Retro and Vintage, Laurent Giroux, Twilight Zoner, Olivia Massoud, Tim Drew, Retro Jerry, and Bernard Quinn. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody. Aaron, what are we playing next time on the Atari ST Show? Well, let's find out, folks. Bam. It's Radical Race Boat, a game so rare. I could not only could I not find a proper a proper box cover for it, but it's not listed on Moby. All this right. Is so, well, you this, break I think this ground. was out for the Falcon as well, Boat. So oh. this is a yeah. <laughs> Hey, listen, <laughs> that's what the people have spoken. That's right. That's right. Thank you all so much for listening and make sure you play your Atari today.